Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Huynh. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Huynh. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Subscribe to our RSS feed so you'll be automatically notified of new shows. If you're looking for a speaker for your organization or event, please go to my website at integrativeminds.com to learn more about what I offer and contact me at info at integrativeminds.com to schedule a meeting time. And be sure to join us for our monthly family financial workshop which is live in the city of Torrance, or you can live stream us at Integrative Minds Facebook page. This workshop, as well as our theme for 2019 on Parent Pump Radio, is geared to help families learn, act, and implement strategies to become financially free. All the information is in the show notes. Okay, I'm really excited about our show today. All of you parents, you're going to want to listen to this show because our guest today is a speaker, author, and businessman. He's given over 2,500 speeches all around the world to crowds as large as 25,000 people. He's written 20 books with 3 million copies in print in 13 languages. He has been named one of the top 50 speakers in the world and one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers. And his primary area of expertise is influence through leadership. And we're going to talk to him about how we as parents can influence our kids. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Chris Widener. Hi, Chris. Hey, Jackie. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. I really appreciate you coming to the show. This is a topic that I think is really important for parents, especially in this day and age of drugs and alcohol and social media and all these things that we didn't have when we grew up. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. People always say, oh, you know, everybody says this generation is worse off than the previous generation. And they say they were knocking Elvis and, you know, these kinds of things. But the fact is, is Elvis talked about being a hound dog and jailhouse rock. And yeah, he swiveled his hips. But then we went to, you know, rap which was a little more open about things. And then now you listen to some of the music kids are listening to now, and it's just, it's just pure blatant sexuality and violence. And, and so, you know, there really is a difference between the generation now and, and previous generations. Um, they're growing up at a, a much, much earlier age. It becomes very, very difficult. Um, in fact, I just saw Jada Pinkett Smith. I saw a clip with her and four of her friends or, or, they were sitting around a table having a discussion and they were talking particularly about African-American girls. Um, but they had a psychologist on there and they were saying that um, they believe that African-American girls are sexualized by music and, and video as early as five years old now in ways that um, previous generations didn't know until they got married, you know? And so uh, it's interesting how fast kids are growing up through video games and television, social media, music, and it provides uh, us with greater challenges than ever. Yeah. And, you know, you think that, okay, I won't give my child a phone until they're 14 or 15. People, these people don't realize that 
all of their friends have phone. They have a computer from school. They will get information whether they have their own phone or not. Yeah, absolutely. And um, my policy was always they had to be 13 and then they got a phone. But you're right. Some kids now are seven years old and getting these little bedazzled phones. You know, they got these little uh, cases that look like diamonds and, and it just becomes the centerpiece. And, you know, I guess the, the, the problem isn't so much the technology because um, technology can be used for good or bad. I think what happens is, is you put technology that becomes a super highway to both good things and some really, really, really dark things. And you put it into the hands of someone who's not old enough or mature enough to be able to make those kinds of decisions. And that's really where the problem comes in. And that's a parenting problem, not a child problem. You give the child something like that and they stumble across things or find things. That's not their fault. It's your fault for not knowing what they're doing and, and what they're, uh, you know, how they're doing it, how often they're doing it. Um, you know, for example, my kids um, were not allowed to, uh, they had to use the, the internet um, where out in the open so that anybody could pass by at any given time, right? You know, that wasn't secreted away in their rooms and those kinds of things where they can get themselves into all sorts of trouble. Not to say they will, but they could. So for me, it was, you know, this will help you create some borders where you will not probably get into some things you shouldn't get into because you might just be afraid that dad uh, or mom is going to walk around the corner and catch you. So, you know, they were able to use the Internet, but in a way that provided a little safety for them. Right. Absolutely. You have four grown children, two stepchildren and a fourth grandchild on the way. So when it comes to parenting, grandparenting, you are I would have to say, safe to say, you're pretty much of an expert, right? Well, I don't know how you define expert. I've done it a lot. And, uh, you know, I've made some great mistakes and I've had some great successes. Uh, it's interesting. You know, my kids are 28, 27, 25, and 24. And then my stepdaughters are 18 and 16. So I have, um, I've gone back into the parenting world because mine were all gone and grown and, and starting to have grandbabies. And then uh, when I met Denise, uh, I ended up with, with two lovely young stepdaughters. And, and actually, I kind of really like it. Um, it's, it's given me a, a, a great opportunity to apply things that I learned. I'm older now. I'm more mature. I'm much more patient. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. I was driving down the road teaching Kate, the youngest, to drive. And this was before she turned 16 and got her driver's license. And, and you know, you're learning all these things. And she, she decided to try and get through a yellow light. And let's just, it's suffice to say, she did not get through the yellow light. It was a full blown red by the time we went through the intersection. <laughs> and she turned and she, she was driving and she slowly turned and looked at me. And I slowly turned and looked at her. And she says, I shouldn't have done that, should I? I said, No, you shouldn't have done that. And she said, are you mad at me? And I said, Nope, I'm, I'm not mad at you. And she goes, why not? And I said, because it's obvious, you know, that you did wrong and that it's dangerous and you'll probably put that in your database and, and not ever do it again. And she said, yeah, yeah, for sure. I won't. And I paused and I said, you know, you're really lucky. I taught four other kids to drive before I taught you to drive. <laughs> I learned all those lessons, you know, with four other kids first. Well, I have to say teaching four other kids, I'm, 
say you're pretty brave to get into a car again. <laughs> well, no, it's uh, she. She seems to be pretty good and and uh, very mature and and you know they have to learn somehow, so it may as well be you. Yeah, that's true. All of us parents want this magic ability to influence our children's thoughts, beliefs, and actions in a positive and really impactful way. I know I want to, and especially in this day and age. Why do you think it's such a challenge, and why is it so hard for some parents and so easy for others? Well, I don't know that it's ever easy for anybody. I think it's easier for some. And the, and the other thing that I would say is, is there's a trajectory that takes place. You know, when a child is born, they literally would die if you didn't take care of everything for them, feed them, clothe them, put them in a, a, a warm room and keep them from out of the freezing outdoors. They literally, their entire life is dependent upon you. As they get a little bit older, you know, you're still making decisions for them. It's time to eat. Here's the clothes you're going to wear to school today, you know, when they're in kindergarten, first grade. And then, and then the whole trajectory of parenthood is releasing independence into your child's life. And that is the conflict. They go from being completely dependent on you where you make every single decision for them to where when they graduate, my goal was when they turned 18, they should be able to fully function as an adult in life. They should be able, if I just got hit by a bus and disappeared from the world, they would know exactly what to do, how to do a bank, you know, how to, how to bank, how to buy a car, how to, you know, make their own food, how to buy clothes, everything. They should be a fully functioning adult. So that trajectory, right, where you're going from complete dependence to complete inter, uh, independence uh, with that gap there of interdependence in the middle, right? And that's the conflict because all of a sudden they don't want you making decisions for them. They don't want you telling them what they can do or can't do, when they can come home, when they can't come. You know, they don't want any of that. And that's the conflict. And so I tell people all the time that you're going to go through about three or four years where you will be the dumbest person on earth. I mean, for three or four years, you will literally, you won't know a thing. It's shocking that you could even get through life. You're so dumb because <laughs> children just know everything and everything you say is just ridiculous to them. But they usually come back around. That's what I've seen, not only in my, my own children's but lives. But that's like around the high school age, late it's high school, early high school. college. And sometimes it's shorter than that. Sometimes it's longer than that. Sometimes it's a year. Sometimes it's six years. Sometimes it's 13 to 19. Sometimes it's 16 to 22. But there's a basic time frame. And that's the time frame when they, they are making their own decisions. And for you to suggest that they do something else is just ludicrous. Uh, I will make my own decisions. Thank you very much. And I think that that's the conflict. So the transition is from person who makes all the decision to influencer. How do we influence? And oftentimes I'll say to, to my kids, um, you know, would you like my advice? Would you like to know what I think about that? I don't just jump in. Well, here's what you need to do. And of course, men do that with their wives a lot too, right? Well, here's how you fix it. Here's what you do. And that's really not what people are looking for. And so I very often just sort of position it as, would you like my advice? Or would you like to know what I think about this? And oftentimes they'll say, not really. Okay, no problem. I don't take it personal. Um, but if they say, yeah, actually, what, what do you think? Well, here's what I think. And, and here's the options. And here's what you can do. And so you're positioning it as, uh, you know, trying to help them rather than dominate them or make the decision for them. Yeah, I think that's the big part when, when they're getting to that teen or preteen age, this natural progression that they want to spread their wings a little bit. And when you try to control or what it feels like, I would say, to them as control or power, 
I think they pull away even more. It's funny, uh, Denise, her daughters will come out and they'll have two dresses, one in each hand. And they'll say, should I wear the red one or the black one? And I'm convinced it doesn't matter which one Denise says they should wear. They will pick the other one. Because I think at a subconscious level, they want to say, I'm breaking away and I'm making my own decision. I'm, I'm actually going to make this choice myself. I don't know why they still come out and ask which one they should wear, but uh, I, there's a subconscious thing that's going on. And I did it. You did it. We all did it because we all made that transition from full uh, dependence to, to uh, independence. But um, there's, therein lies the conflict. And we go from making decisions to influencing decisions. And we lose the ability to influence for a while. But if you position yourself right in your child's life, um, then, then you can have that influence. Like, for example, I, um, I consider myself a, a friend, um, and, and particularly as a, as a stepdad, um, where they have a father, right. Um, I'm not their, I'm not their dad. I am their friend. I'm their mentor. I'm their advisor. I'm their cheerleader. I'm their encourager. And, uh, in fact, at one point, uh, one of the girls said to me something, you know, how come you don't get mad at us? Or so I can't remember the exact question. And I said, man, I got the easiest job in the world. I'm good cop. I get to be good cop. You know, your mom is bad cop. She she gets to be bad cop, and tell you, but I get to be good cop. It's actually the easiest job in the world. Um, you know, I imagine that comes from from coming into their lives later on in their teen. You know, if, if I would have um, become their stepdad when they were three, four, five, six years old, then, yeah, I probably would have had to be more of a disciplinarian and those kinds of things. But um, but my role is actually pretty, pretty easy. I just get to encourage and listen and give like advice. Like the, the grandfather role. Yeah, it's kind of like the grandfather role. I mean, that's actually probably a really good way of putting it, more like the grandfather role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about your book. The book is titled again? It's called The Leadership Rules. And it's actually a book based on, on uh, most of my books are story form. They teach life or business lessons through stories. Um, and this one is set uh, around a football high school, championship high school football team. But the rules for that they learn in this book, there's four of them are actually really great for parenting. And we can talk through them. But Let's do it. Uh, yeah, so the, I'll give you the four in overview, and then we can go through them each. But the first one is you get what you expect. Um, and, and here's the other thing. I named it the Leadership Rules on purpose because uh, I used to ghostwrite for a guy named John Maxwell. John is a very well-known leadership guy. And his first big, big book, not his first book, but his first big bestseller was called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I always contended that there are no laws of leadership. Because leadership deals with people and there are no laws that govern the actions, behaviors, beliefs of people. There are rules that work most of the time, but there are no laws. And so that's why I called it the leadership rule. So technically, um, there's nothing that works all the time. But this one and these four work most of the time. The first one is you get what you expect setting expectations. We can talk about that with your kids. The second one is you get what you model. And that's the powerful one for number one. The number two is actually the one that makes number one work. We can talk about that. Third one is you get what you reward. How do we reward and give positive recognition and feedback um, to our children? And then the last one is you get what you work for. There's a lot of work involved in leadership and a lot more work involved in parenting leadership. Yep, yep. I, I think you and I are on the same page. I also wrote a book about leadership family leadership and how the corporate successful companies can incorporate all those successful tips and rules, like you said, into the family. So let's let's break down those four rules. The first one. 
first one, you get what you expect. I think it's it's very, very important for us to set very clear expectations for our kids. Um, they need to know exactly what it is that we expect of them. We can't just lay it out there, do what you want, and then they do something and say, hey, you can't do that. We have to give kids clear boundaries. And, and I think that, again, in that trajectory, the boundaries are very, 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 very clear when they're three, four, five years old, and they become bigger and bigger boundaries. We allow them to make broader and broader decisions as they get older. Uh, that my, my philosophy, I heard it on the radio one time. I don't even know where I heard it from, but I thought that makes a lot of sense. My philosophy was to extend their, um, their curfew uh, later and later until their senior year. In their senior year, they had total freedom. Senior year of high school, they had total freedom. They could do what they want, when they wanted, go where they wanted, stay out all night if they wanted, late if they wanted. Because somebody said, don't let their first year of total freedom happen in college without your oversight. So they said, let their first year of total freedom happen under your roof. Now, they could stay out all night if they wanted to. None of them ever did. Um, but they always, I had two rules. They had to always let me know where they were and they had to answer the phone when I called. If I called, they had to answer the phone. So I needed to be able, they had the freedom to go where they wanted, do what they wanted, but I had to be able to get a hold of them at any given moment uh, and know where they were. And, and of course, now they have apps that tell you where they are. Life 360, you know. You, well, it tells you, where their phone is, though, not them. <laughs> well, that's true. But most kids now, they can't, you know, the phone is glued to their hand anyway. But, um, but you have to set these expectations. What do I expect from you? And, you know, in the corporate world, we talk about corporate culture. What's the culture? What are the group expectations? How do we act? How do we treat each other? And I think the same is true in a family. You have culture in your family, and culture is set by, uh, by expectations. The expectations are predominantly set by parents. Um, but I think smart parents also incorporate into that, um, you know, letting the kids also have a say in terms of, of the family culture. There was a book written, and I can't remember the exact title of it. It might have been Seven uh, Habits of Highly Successful Families. But, you know, Stephen Covey wrote a book about that and how every family should have a mission statement and what they, you know, but creating cultural values. How will we speak to one another in this family? Um, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable? This applies to both parents and kids. Absolutely, absolutely, which we'll talk about in a minute. When yeah, because you hear it right, you hear it right. <laughs> right, but you have to set the expectations and then letting your children, uh, you know, particularly as they get older and they have more critical thinking skills, they can participate in that because they're going to say, yeah, we should never talk negatively to each other or cuss at one another or whatever. Okay, great. We've come and we've set family expectations on how we behave with one another. And that's an important thing for us to do. But if, uh, if, if they don't know how they're supposed to act uh, or if there's no clear boundaries on it, then they'll just do whatever they want to do. Um, and the second thing that I would say about that, my, my good friend, Kyle Wilson, Kyle was the president of Jim Rohn International and then my company, Chris Widener International. He always had to say, inspect what you expect. So you set the expectation and then you go back and you inspect it and you make sure that it actually happens. So for example, you might say, I have an expectation that once a week, uh, your room will be clean. You will clean it up at least once a week. You'll tidy up. You'll pull out all the garbage, you know, all that. And that should be done by 4 p.m. Sunday afternoon. So I don't care if you do it Saturday morning or Friday night. As long as I can walk through your door on Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock and I will see a clean room. 
Uh, well, you've got to inspect that. You can't just tell them you expect that and then never go inspect it. Make sure that you hold them accountable to the expectations. Absolutely. So what's number two? Number two is you get what you model. And this is the powerful one. Yes. Uh, the worst thing, the worst thing any parent or any leader could ever hear is why should we do it? You don't. Yeah, this is that do what I say, not what I do, right? Principle exactly. that so many parents and, follow. Right? <laughs> you know, it's like a parent who hears his two kids yelling at each other and he storms through the door and he says, Stop your yelling. yelling. <laughs> we don't yell in this family. Or and get off like, their electronics and you're on the phone looking through your Facebook and they're like, mom, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, it's, it's sad. We actually go out for dinner and we'll see couples that literally just there. We were at a nice restaurant. This was, I don't know, five months ago called Mastro's here in the, uh, in the Scottsdale area. You know, Mastro's is a high end steak place, right? And people are spending a couple hundred bucks, you know, maybe more with a bottle of wine. Uh, you know, it's where the steaks are $50 each and the baked potatoes are $8 each. And, you know, it adds up. And you look around the room and you'll see people spending two or $300 on, on a dinner. They've dressed up and both of them have their nose in their phone, right? How can we ask our children to 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 get away from that screen time if we don't even do it ourselves? Yeah, it's mixed messages. So, yeah, so whether it's things like screen time or the way we speak to one another, you know, don't talk to your sister that way. Why? You talk to dad that way. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, and so we have to live it ourselves. In, in the corporate world, we say, look, if you expect your employees to be there at 9, you better be there at 8.30. Because if you show up at 9.30... They won't show up until 9.15. As soon as they figure out that you come in at 9.30 every day, it doesn't matter that you tell them to be there at 9. They'll get there at 9.15 just to cover their butts and make sure they're there before you. And same with, with, with kids. You know, kids will do what you let them get away with. And so you set the expectation, then you model the expectation. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a huge advocate here in our community with underage drinking, drug use and all that. And so many parents will say, oh, I need a glass of wine because I'm stressed out. And then you wonder why your kids want to try it. They've been watching you drink. And even if it's just one glass, it's still modeling, like you're saying. Well, especially if you position it that way. Um, I, I'm stressed out. I need alcohol to help me with my stress. You know, if it's, I'd like a glass of wine because I enjoy it and I love the taste and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if it's, oh, man, I'm stressed out. I need, I need wine. You're basically building in the idea that the way you handle your problem is with wine or in other cases, drugs. Right. I mean, there's so many memes about that. Parents saying, oh my God, you need a glass of wine. They're home or something. So what's number three? So number three is you get what you reward. And uh, Mac, John Maxwell used to say, that which gets rewarded gets done. And I really believe that that's true, that that which gets rewarded gets done. Um, now it has to be a, 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 a reward that works right, right? So if you said to your child, I'll give you a dollar if you clean up your room, they're, not, they're never going to do it. If you say, I'll give you $1,000 if you clean up your room, they're going to be gone before you get the sentence right? in their room, throwing everything and getting everything done. So therein, you know that they will do something based on a reward. You have to find out the right, the right reward. The number one thing that I would say that parents need to really get good at is rewarding their children verbally. And in some of my seminars, I do this little bit um, where I talk about how, you know, we we have an opposite trajectory as it relates to praising our children. So when it first starts out, we think our we think our two month old child is Einstein for pooping in their diaper, yeah. right? 
amazing. Look at this. It's so cute. Oh, she's amazing. Look how wonderful she What'd she do? She cured cancer. No, she pooped in her diaper. Look at that. <laughs> and, and, and so we really, honestly, they're amazing children, right? And then as they get older, you know, oh, wow, you drew an, uh, an, a dog. That's an amazing thing. You know, they're four with a black crayon and they drew a dog that sort of looks like uh, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty, but it's a dog. Um, and, but you tell them it's amazing and all that color is beautiful. And then, you know, they learn to ride a bike and it's like, good job, Johnny, you learned to ride a bike. And then by the time you get to, to high school, it's like, why can't you get grades like your sister? And, and so we, t and then by the time we're adults, we hardly ever get praised for anything. And so there was a book written called The Power in Print. And it's a, an amazing book. I can't remember the, the author. Um, but the fact is, is that we can get a lot out of our children and retain a lot of influence in their lives if we understand the power of praising our children. And I, I was working with a coaching client once, and he had an adult child, 30. And he said, my son just wants, him, wants me to be proud of him. And I'm just not. I'm just not. I mean, he's lazy and, you know, he could go make lots more money than he, than he uh, is making. And this guy's a very successful corporate executive. And, uh, and I just said, really, there's not a single thing you could find that you are proud of him. Maybe you're disappointed that he's not living his life the way you want him to live and making it, but you can't find a single thing the way he speaks to his wife. Uh, the, the, the colors he chooses for the clothing he wears, the way he washes his car and, and keeps it clean. There's nothing you can find. Well, I don't know. Let me think about it. You know, and so I really had to shift his thinking, right? And I know that a lot of parents do that with their kids, especially parents that are high achievers and want their children to be high achievers, you know. Uh, look, look, Dad, I got an A-. minus. Why didn't you get an A? You're an A plus. You're an A plus kid, you know. And so I think that it's important for us to be very purposeful um, in loving our children by rewarding them. Um, there was a book written. I don't know if you've ever read it or, or heard of it. Um, the Five Love Languages. Yep, I, I subscribe to it. Yeah, and there's one for children. The five, using I, the five ha I have that too. That's how I know my children. What my love, my children's love. Because some children they may want gifts. That's their number one. But other ones just want you to praise them, or they want just physical touch. And you're giving the wrong love language. They're not going to receive it as love. So it's so I have all my parents take the quiz and have their kids take it so that they understand what the top language is yeah brilliant brilliant and that's a way that we reward right if we, if we take the time to understand our children and we can reward them with that you know they come home and say hey i here's my report card and you go, oh that's great if they are a quality time person i'll tell you what let me put down my stuff and let's go let's go down to the ice cream store and and uh, or let's go to a movie together or whatever if theirs is is uh, verbal affirmation you go overboard and verbally affirming them you know, you say, oh, that's fantastic. Let's go out. I've been thinking about buying you a bike. Let's go buy you a bike. You know, whatever it might be. It doesn't even have to be as big as a bike. But understanding their love language, rewarding them usually using their love language. Yeah, and, and with that, I want to add the growth mindset and the fixed mindset principle with Dr. DeWitt. She talks about, you know, instead of saying, oh, you're so smart, you got to say, wow, I saw you spent so much work on that, and I can see why you 
received an A because you spent too much work, you know, because then everything is about brains or you're such a good athlete. What happens when that's there? So I really highly recommend people go watch the YouTube video or get the book about growth mindset and fixed mindset. Uh, they've actually done many studies on that. And when you're focused on the growth mindset instead of something fixed, they're smart, they're, they're beautiful, they tend to actually not be achievers because when they can't get that, then they just don't want to do it. I got to I gotta be. I'm not, not smart. smart anymore. I'm not smart anymore, right. But when they teach these inner city kids that it's about growth, which is how much effort you put in, how much time you put in, even if they get a C, they're like, I just got to put more effort in. That's all it is. So what's the fourth one? Fourth one is sort of the catch-all, and that is you get what you work for. Yes. And the fact is, is being a parent is a lot of work. It's thankless most of the time. Uh, your kids may think in their head, I love mom and love dad. I, I so admire mom and dad. I'm so thankful for mom and dad. But they're probably not going to say it much. Uh, and At least probably, not during the teenage years. <laughs> for sure, yeah. As they get older or at, at special moments, you know, it was interesting. Uh, Denise's girls are both, uh, you know, pre-professional dancers, and they had their end-of-the-year uh, dance banquet last night where they were sending off all the seniors to their colleges and, and, uh, and announcing where they're going and thanking them for being part of the dance team for all these years. And, and it was interesting to listen to the, parent, or to, the, to the seniors each had a chance to get up and kind of give a little speech, a little three, four-minute speech, and to hear them thank their, their uh, moms and dads and recognize there was one girl, it was interesting, her dad takes a lot of pictures. He's always got a camera. And... Um, and she said, Dad, I remember uh, my very first day, I can't remember when it was, she was like sixth grade, so six or seven years ago, and we were at, I think she was doing some cheerleading or something, and she said, I looked down the track, and I saw you coming, and you had one shoe on and one shoe in your hand. Well, he had um, flip-flops, and the flip-flop had broken, and she said, Dad, I remembered that you found a piece of rope um, on the sideline, and you used it to fix your your flip-flops so you could keep taking pictures and it just showed me how committed you were to making sure that we got pictures and created those memories now this is a 17 year old girl right who who is who remembered that from six or seven years ago it sounded like the story we would never think that that was in her mind or that she noticed that but she noticed it and remembered it six or seven years later and frankly she'll remember it 20 six or 27 years later because she'll she'll recognize that but had she not been giving that speech she maybe would have never said that to her dad but she got a moment and she pulled that from her memory and and she honored him in that way and it was really kind of it was neat to neat yeah to and I think it goes opposite also, you know, those memories that probably shouldn't have been doing, like you said, yelling or doing something that was really bad. They, these kids remember. They might not be telling you they remember those good, bad, and ugly times, but they remember. So we, I think, like you said, we got to model those behavior that are exemplary. Yeah, for sure. Wow. I love those four rules. And uh, we will definitely put your link to your book in the show notes. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time out to share your knowledge with our audience. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it and uh, appreciate the work you're doing helping people become better parents. This is how we change this whole society in one generation if all of us parents could learn the great leadership skills that you're talking about. 
Absolutely. The whole workplace would be better. Okay, well, thank you, listeners. Until next time, keep on learning and keep on growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.